is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 439, recorded on Friday, July the 12th, 2019. Friday! Yeah, sorry about the Friday recording, everyone. Uh, I had a busy week. It's weird because my kids were out of town, so it was just the wife and I all week, but that made the week busier instead of less busy. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You're right. So, so Thursday got filled up, unfortunately, with something and we couldn't record last night. So we're here on Friday. Sorry for the one-day delay. Um, hope no one was too upset, but we're, we're here now. So thank you I for cried. your patience. I cried myself to sleep last night. Well, I, that makes me sad. I don't want to make you cry, Jason. At least... It's not terribly abnormal, though. <laughs> All right, then. I'll just, uh, I'll just let it be. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, welcome to the program, folks. We are here to talk about Season 5, Episode 6 of Fear the Walking Dead, and I don't have anything else to uh, talk about before we get into it, so why don't we just begin? Okay, that sounds fun. Here we go. You sound tentative. <laughs> I am tentative. I'm always tentative. It's Friday. It's tentative Fridays. Okay. Jason, he never really got the hang of Fridays. It's the problem. No, well, Thursday's always been a problem for me. I never got the hang of Thursdays, but Fridays, Fridays are okay. Friday's good. All right. Well, yeah. let's do a podcast, see how it goes. Sure. What the hell? The Widow Quince. I love you guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lee in St. Catharines for the title read. Of course, uh, the title of this episode is The Little Prince, uh, or how, <laughs> as how he said it, The Widow Prince. <laughs> yeah, it's funny his name is Lee. You should call him Wee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's as funny. Anyways, thank you, Lee, for that title read. Jason, this episode had 1.49 million viewers. That is the lowest so far in season five. Yeah, so let me, I have a question for you right off the bat here. Sure. Uh, has Fear the Walking Dead been uh, greenlit for another season? No, not officially, I don't think. Okay. I, I wonder if it will at this point. Uh, well, we can talk about that if you want. Um, AMC doesn't seem to renew things ahead of time very much they go year by year even the walking dead and even when it was getting 15 16 million viewers an episode they'd wait most of the time until the season was finished and officially renew it sometime over the summer now i'm sure internally they never had any plans to cancel it but they yeah. like to keep us waiting so at this point you know internally who knows what amc is doing but for now officially there is no renewal for season six of fear right and I, I i i'm wondering if it will get will get renewed well i i mean do you want to talk about that for a minute right now what why sure. are you wondering that what's your feeling based on uh it's based on this uh fucking bottle shaped balloon <laughs> <laughs> just the balloon or 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 are you can you expand I, I that think it's in it's indicative of what this show has been going through this season. It's just, uh, you know, it's, I tried so hard to like this episode. I, I you know, I, I forgave a lot. I let things slide. And then they had this awful green screen friggin' balloon. It was just, uh, we've, we've gotten better at green screens than this, haven't we? Like oh. We must have. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, if they could shoot Lord of the Rings without any actors actually meeting each other through the entire process or The Hobbit uh, series of, of movies, they can put together a green screen on a TV show that doesn't look like a pile of shit. I, like, come you, on. You would think so, but I thought the effects on the rock climbing, you know, a couple episodes ago was, or last episode was terrible, were terrible as well. Um, this balloon though, you're right. And I have some, you know, reactions from listeners about that as, as we go through here, but it looked, it looked awful. It, it, it I feel like the, the production of this show has given up and as an audience member, I feel like giving up. Yeah. I'm having, I'm in, I, for the last hour and a half, probably when I'm doing this podcast is imminent, I started getting nervous and worried. And this is probably the, the reason for me being tentative. I, uh, I gotta tell you, I kind of don't want to talk about this episode hmm. because I feel, I feel bad. <laughs> I mean, you feel, you feel bad because you disliked it so much or you just feel I, bad that the I, show is tanking. I feel bad for the show. Right. Right. <laughs> I feel bad for the show. I feel bad about the show. I, I, I just kind of want to ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. And then maybe next week I can decide whether or not I want to watch this show anymore. I can tell you that if we weren't podcasting about this show, I don't think I'd watch it. I mean, if we weren't podcasting about it, I don't know that I would have continued watching season five. We went through this when I had a crisis there earlier in, you know, before season five started. And I decided that we, we did need to watch it to podcast about it and we're going to continue, but I know how you feel. I know how you feel, especially yeah. after this episode, because it might be the worst episode in five seasons of fear, the walking dead. Yeah. And I think it even expands beyond this show. This is probably the worst episode of a television show I've seen in a long time. Yeah. And, and that, I've sat down and watched Jersey Shore with my wife a little while ago. I don't know if you could make that comparison. Those are apples and oranges. <laughs> they really, yeah, they're rotten apples and uh, moldy grapefruit. Or, moldy oranges. <laughs> grapefruit. I hate grapefruit. I know, but that's because you're nuts. Um, anyways, listen, before you turn the podcast off, everyone, <laughs> I, I, I promise I did find something to like in this episode. I, okay, good. I, um, I, I was about to say I forced myself to find something to like, but it's not really that. I I did go out of my way thinking about it, thinking there's got to be something in here I can latch on to that wasn't just total garbage um, that would make this episode not just like a giant dumpster fire. But so, so, and I, because I know some people get upset when we're too negative and I understand that we have to be honest with our feelings about things, but Nothing is 100% terrible or 100% amazing, right? So yeah. so if you focus on one of those things too much, I understand how that can be um, a little unfair to something. So that's where I'm coming from for this episode. We will get to some stuff I actually liked about it. But overall, I think it's clear by now that you and I really didn't appreciate this one so much. <laughs> yeah. And it makes me think that the show is going to be canceled. Like they can't have the, uh, I assume that my reaction is not unique. I assume your reaction is not unique, that we have some kind of objective view on this uh, dumpster fire of an episode, as you put it so eloquently. Mm -hmm. uh, so it can't be, like, like we've always known, I don't 
look at the internet as far as the Walking Dead stuff goes. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how other people are reacting to this to this episode, but I, I, I feel like I'm not out on a limb here. No, I don't think you are out on a limb in any way. Why don't we, we dive in here? The first thing I have is some reactions from people on okay. our Facebook page. That, that'll make me feel better. Facebook always makes me feel better. Right, which is why you never <laughs> use it. Paul writes... I'd like to apologize for criticizing Chris and Jason for being overly critical because I have absolutely nothing good to say about this episode. Utter garbage and ridiculous. Okay. So we're starting there. Mark wrote, not only was this just a bad episode, it's up there with the worst episodes of any Walking Dead show. Six episodes in a row, or sorry, six episodes in now and still no real story other than the we are helping people. James wrote... I love the Dwight and John team up and interaction. A lot of potential there. I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh-huh. Yeah. And finally, Jennifer writes, did you see the state of Annie before she washed her hair in cold water over a sink? Or did I just not see the shampoo, conditioning treatment, large comb, paddle brush, hair dryer, straighteners, and serum that it would have taken to transform her burst mattress hair into a L'Oreal <laughs> advert? <laughs> wow. I, I like that. I wanted to include that because she did walk out at the beginning looking all perfectly clean and washed. She mentioned the, there was hot water, though, so it wasn't just she cold did. water. Yeah, the magical powers of hot water. Yeah. Of course. Uh, but all that other stuff and the way she described it as burst mattress hair, I thought was pretty good. <laughs> that is pretty, that was really good. It uh, really brings up a visual that I don't quite understand how mattresses burst to look like that, but it, it works for me. But they do. Yeah, that's right. So that's what people on our Facebook page had to say. As you can tell, nobody was really that keen on this episode. Um, James mentioned Dwight and John team up. That was basically the part that I found something to like in. Right. And, and we'll get to that. It's mostly to do with John. Um, but then... Alana, or maybe Elena in Duluth, Minnesota, apologize for your name or for mispronouncing your name, Elena. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for your name. No, no, it's not Clever. what I meant. I know it's you misspoke. It's fine. I did. Uh, she wrote in and says, the speech from Morgan at the beginning of the show was painful to listen to, and I had to leave the room because of secondhand embarrassment. I look at The Walking Dead as a worldview on a much larger scale with a focus on communities and how we survive against not only the dead, but the living. I look at Fear the Walking Dead as more of a small group, with a lot more character focus instead of large-scale events. I was hoping this would continue because I find dialogue during more intimate times with emotional depth more engaging. They do a pretty good job with this, but sometimes the speeches are very painful to watch and listen to. So Elena is talking about the voiceover that Morgan does during the cold open of this episode. Yep. I gotta say, I didn't find it quite as uh, painful as she did, but at the same time, it was sort of melodramatic about him talking about having to do the impossible and needing help from people and needing to help other people. It just felt a little, as I said, melodramatic as we mm. saw, you know, the, the gang sort of going about their, their day. So I can see where Elena is coming from, but it didn't bother me quite as much. Do you, did you have any feelings on the cold open and Morgan's voiceover? Uh, not really. I mean, I, it's, 
I, I didn't really have any feelings. I didn't think of it as a bad thing. I didn't think of it as a great thing. Uh, I did. I do agree with you that I think it was a little melodramatic, and it's starting to make me question whether or not these people are acting like human beings at all. Like mm. people don't talk that way. No, you know, I don't talk that way. People, you know, uh, when you write a speech, uh, you write it that way. When I guess when you write a cold open for a television show, you write it that way. But uh, generally, people just don't talk that. Even when they're talking about hope and uh, about uh, altruism, uh, they don't they don't talk that way because people's eyes glaze over like almost immediately. <laughs> right. It's like get to the point, whoever you are. Yeah, I was telling my son Jasper today at dinner about what I do for a living. And uh, I was actually explaining to him about uh, user stories and tasks and about defects and how I have to triage defects and assign them out to people. And just watching his eyes glaze over as I'm talking about these, looking at me, he's like, okay, he's thinking about candy now. I, yeah. There's nothing there. Candy so, and trucks. and <laughs> Yeah, so this is the kind of thing, I feel like that's what's, what's happening here with this show is that they're, they're talking like, uh, not like human beings and uh, have something that I, I'm, my eyes are glazing over. I'm just like thinking, oh my God, I can't, I just, I can't even. And right. That's how I feel about this episode. I thought about this earlier. The only way I can describe my enjoyment of this episode is I can't even. Yeah, I know what you mean. And it seems like the writing is going that way a little bit in general, right? People aren't talking about, or they just aren't talking the way people really talk. And I mean, that's always a problem sometimes on a TV show, right? But the better yeah. shows manage to avoid that. Like, think about something like Better Call Saul. That's some of the, I think, the best written dialogue there is on TV right now. It never yeah. feels unnatural. It's it's important to the plot, but it also seems like occasionally it's just people sitting around talking. It doesn't feel like they're being fed lines. It feels like they're just off the cuffing it. And and that's also that's a that's a factor of the actor as well. It's Bob Odenkirk, right? He's uh, he's such a, a, a an amazing actor that he can say lines that are questionable and get away with it. Like if if you listen to anything Jeff Goldblum says, it sounds like it's not written on a page and never has been. It's just off the coming off the cuff. But that's just Jeff Goldblum reading the script. He could read a grocery list and it would sound completely natural and entertaining. Yeah, but I mean, you can say that about Lenny James, can't you? To a certain degree. I thought I could. I really did. I thought Lenny James could do no wrong. I loved him prior to this goddamn show. Oh, no. Oh, no. Listen, I have an email here from Bill in New Jersey. I was actually going to save this all the way till the end of the podcast, but it seems relevant right now. Bill writes, if there was a drinking game for Fear the Walking Dead and you had to take a drink every time Morgan said, I repeat, do you copy or there is another way? There has to be. Most people would be seeing double halfway through any episode. Lenny James is an amazing actor and his talents are horribly underutilized in this series. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say that. I just think it's such an astute observation by Bill. You know, how many times has he been on the radio? Almost any of the characters being like, I repeat, do you copy? There's another way. There has to be. We can't. You know, we can't or we don't need to 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 do it this way. There has to be another way. It just feels so familiar to that character now, which it didn't before he came onto this show. Yeah. So, 
Uh, yeah, that's it. I, I, I agree with you. The, the cold open voiceover, it, it just felt wrong. It felt like it didn't work. If Lenny James was actually talking to another character and we just weren't sort of seeing that, instead we were seeing these other shots, maybe it would have been better, but it doesn't make sense to have him doing that voiceover like that. I don't feel like the audience needs that kind of explanation anymore. So, um, the only other thing I wanted to point out during the cold open is that it looks like the kids are huddled around a TV watching some old version of maybe Gulliver's Travels. It is Gulliver's Travels, yeah. Do you think that's significant in any way? Uh, well, you think they're going to go to the land of uh, where they're a lot bigger than they are here? What is it? Well, the little the land where the little people are, are li- Lilliput, right? Lilliput? Lilliputian are the people? I don't know. I wouldn't know from Gulliver's Travels. I just know he goes from a place where he's really tiny and there's a lot, lot of big people uh-huh. uh, to another place where he's really huge. It's just, it's a yeah, that's, kind of a, a play on perspective. Right? That's Brobdignag and the people there are, and, and Brobdignagian means really huge. <laughs> All right. Well, you're uh, more well-read than I am. Well, you've read Gulliver's Travels or at least know something about it other than, didn't Jack Black star in a movie about Gulliver's Travels? Ooh, maybe. Or I, I don't remember, but uh, I don't know. I just, I noticed that it looked like what was on the TV was Gulliver being tied down by yeah. the little people. Yes. Uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know what that means, if it means anything, if it's significant. There's a certain toppling the giant metaphor there, you know? Um, maybe There's no that's... giant to topple in this stuff. I can't believe that it's uh, it's related to the overall story in any way. I, I don't mean actual giant, but like overcome your your what the mountain problems the you just the mountain the 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 roadblocks that they've been imposed they've had imposed on these characters maybe that's what they have to overcome just like these lilliputians there's a bunch of of zombies tied together with intestines well see there you go all right okay (laughs) maybe 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 that's it is it's kind of vague and not really well defined i think so too but and redundant yeah repeating myself if i have to (laughs) um amy in Indy writes, I think this storyline would improve if our group headed out on foot with the kids in tow. It would make sense, given the looming threat of nuclear meltdown and radioactive walkers. It just seems dumb that these people continuously find threats, but remain. How will they fuel the plane? They lost their headquarters, so why are they so determined to fly back anyway? Why not head out on foot, get away from the immediate threat, and find a new homestead? Yeah, there's got to be other places, right? I mean, if you can't go over the mountain, go the other way. Well, let's just review one more time why they can't leave. So what we know is that they flew in over this area, crash landed in it. Now, uh-huh. on, on one side, they're blocked by a mountain, at least yes. one side. Uh, all of the roads coming into the place are blocked f- by cars, abandoned cars, causing traffic jams uh, because people were fleeing the area. So they can't drive out of there because the cars are in the way. Uh, They mentioned last week, or maybe this week, that all the bridges are washed out. And that was related to the big storm last season, I think. Probably, yeah. Right. And so, and then on another- Nobody's going to fix them after the the storm, right? There's nobody to fix them, except for Rick and the gang that fixed that one bridge. Right. And they're not here helping. And they stored the dynamite on the bridge they were fixing, morons. We don't need to go through that again. Uh- they're blocked at least on one other side by a nuclear power plant or a zone of radiation that I guess they figure they can't go into, you know, until uh-huh. the end, until the end of this episode. But uh, 
So, so they're blocked by all these impediments, and that's why they can't leave. Um, however, Jason, it all seems kind of dumb, because uh-huh. in theory they could probably walk at least one direction. And I realized that Dwight and Sherry got in to this area, yet nobody can get out. They just need to walk. I mean, it's the zombie apocalypse for crying out loud. You understand that you can, you're going to have to walk places, right? Like Dwight and Morgan walked from the other side of the country. Right. Pretty much. I mean, they drove some, but, uh, you know, vehicles are unreliable uh, because there's roadblocks and bridges are out and stuff. So put your goddamn shoes on, lace them up, get a fresh pair of socks, put them in your backpack because socks are very important Mm -hmm. uh, and get the hell out of there. And there's the nuclear power plant's going to go postal in a few minutes. Just get the hell out of there. <laughs> I agree. I feel like there has to be at least one direction they can go that is towards safety somehow. You know what I mean? It just doesn't there, make any sense. There's a term for this. There's got to be a term for this where you are so focused on one uh, resolution to a problem, one thing that can solve your problem that you completely ignore all other potential solutions. Like they're so focused on, we have to get over this mountain by flying over it that they can't see that there's other things that they can do to get out of this situation. Uh, I know in terms of uh, pilots, uh, when they're trying to land in a, in questionable circumstances, uh, they call it get their itis. If all, all, I just need to get this plane on the ground. I just need to get this plane on the ground when in fact, that's probably the worst situation or worst thing you could do. Like get some altitude, turn around, go to a different airport. That's probably your best solution, but pilots tend to get, or not tend to, sometimes they get this, get their itis. I just got to get the plane on the ground. And I've actually experienced this as a driver where you're in the middle of a snowstorm and you're trying to drive down the highway and you're thinking, I just got to get home. And Mm -hmm. once I get home, everything will be fine. But damn it, you're in the middle of a snowstorm in the middle of heavy traffic on a highway. Get the fuck off the highway for 10 minutes and let the storm blow over a little bit before you kill yourself and other people around you. Yeah, I was going to say that's, I mean, maybe that originated with pilots, but it applies to a lot of different things, you know, even in sort of non-dangerous life-threatening situations, right? If you're working on a project and, and, you know, you might get to a point where I just want to, I just want to get this done and, you know, be move on from it kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, gamblers it. get the, that's the same thing, right? It's like, well, if I, I keep losing, all I have to do is keep betting until I'm back to where I was before. And then uh, everything will be fine. I just mm-hmm. have to, it's just, it's good money after bad. It's just, it's pouring, you know, money into a black hole in order to try and fill it up. Some, sometimes you just have to cut your losses and get the hell out of there. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Well, humans are stupid. Overall, oh. there's too many examples of this. <laughs> this Man, we're a dumb species. Oh, it's, it's amazing we've survived this long, to be honest with you. It's just because we breed like motherfuckers. That's <laughs> pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, they made... Uh... Sorry, that was a weird way to phrase that, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made reproduction just a little too fun. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I understand that. Sure. And that's a good thing, but... <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I think... Yeah, whatever that, you know, get there itis or whatever the word would be for focusing on one thing and ignoring other more logical things. That's exactly yeah. what's going on here, it seems like. And they expect us, the audience, to kind of just buy into it with the characters. And I don't. Uh, 
I don't, I'm not sure I ever really did, but if I did at the beginning, I definitely don't now. And I think the explanation for why they're stuck where they are just hasn't been strong enough. So it makes yeah. no sense. I mean, the only good thing is that the kids seem to seem to think you guys are idiots. Uh, I'm, we're just going to leave because you guys are too dumb to see that uh, your plan is stupid and uh, we got to get away from you. I, I guess so, but the kids aren't leaving the area either. They're just getting away from Morgan and Alicia and everybody. It's not a horrible idea. They're no. morons. <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> if we stick around with you, we're going to get on a plane that's just going to crash again, you know? Okay. That Yeah. We're, we're going to have a nitpick picnic a little bit in a little bit. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. One of our listeners, uh, the nitpick picnic has started to become a thing, Jason. I had We had a listener... <laughs> Uh, write in with his own nitpick picnic, and he wrote oh, yeah. in 60 nitpicks wow. for this nice. episode. Honestly, I don't know what to do with it at all, because <laughs> you almost have to be watching the episode because it's chronological, and some yeah. of them are just sort of like brain dump reactions to what he's seeing on the screen. So uh, it was fascinating read, but I don't know if I can read it on the air. <laughs> It's still fun, though. It was great, yeah. Send it to me. I'd like to read that. All right, the nitpick picnic. Maybe we can, after uh, after hours or something, it or some of it at some point. So Okay. Um, let's talk about fixing the plane, speaking of the plane. So, good Lord. <laughs> Al is now a plane mechanic, too, Jason. Uh, yeah, of course she is. Because uh, this is one of the things that makes me kind of sad, because when a plane crashes, you can't fix it. No, it's like destroyed. planes are meant to be extremely light because they got to fly, <laughs> right? That's mm-hmm. the whole point of them is they got to fly. And when they crash, uh, they tend to not crash a little bit. They crash I, a lot. I, there is such a thing as a recoverable, like a, a a crash landing is a little different. Like you could maybe repair that plane, but you I don't bend think. The no, you bend the gear landing too hard. You do, you bend, you, you hit the, hit the ground and you nosedive yeah. and the propeller gets bent. Maybe you replace the propeller, but it's not the kind of things you can fix. It's the kind of thing where you need to replace the parts that are broken and build a new plane. Yeah. I, I mean, planes are very precise instruments. I was on a plane once sitting on the ground and one of the guys on the tarmac was <laughs> he's driving around one of those stair trucks yeah and he had at the top of the stairs he had the gate open and he hit the bottom of the plane with it oh yeah and it made a little scratch of paint but we were delayed like three hours sitting there because they had to check that location of the plane for any dents or imperfections because it changes the aerodynamics of the plane or, it also creates a weak spot or creates a weak spot exactly so they take these things very seriously. And that was just yeah. basically the paint being scratched on it because a piece of metal crashed into yeah. it. It's not like you broke a car smashing into a light post and you could probably, you know, you you wrench out the uh, the wheel well that's bent in and uh, obstructing the movement of the front wheel. It's not like that kind of thing. This is a, a precision instrument. Like you say, it's, uh, it's an airplane. You, yeah. you can't just fix it. A bunch of hobos living out of a gas station can't fix an airplane well i wrote that it's just stupid that this ragtag group could think they could fix a plane that's that badly damaged and uh you're right it's it doesn't even have to be very badly damaged to 
be unfixable by by anybody, even by a plane, an actual aircraft mechanic, you know? Yeah, aircraft mechanic would be the first one to be, first one to say, you're crazy. <laughs> you don't fix a crashed plane. No, you and don't. And first of all, if you think you fixed a crashed plane, don't fly it. Because you're going to crash it again. I guarantee it. <laughs> guarantee. It's going to fall apart. The wing's going to fly off. Uh, the propeller's going to fly off, which we saw. And they think that the propeller from the other plane is just, you know, all propellers fit on all planes. That's mm-hmm. got to be true, right? Oh, they're all the same. They're, they're all, all the same. same. It's like switching wheels from a monster truck to a, a you know, an Austin Mini. You just put the, <laughs> put the wheels uh, on the Austin Mini and away you go. Or the other way around. You put the Austin Mini wheels on the monster truck. <laughs> That'd be funny. Be just I'd fine. Like to see that. <laughs> Be just fine. I bet you can Google that. Uh, but I, w- I was really, I was actually very happy when Al turned the plane on, the propellers flew off. Uh, as dumb as it is, I felt, okay, good. At least, at least it broke apart because that's exactly what would happen if they could get it running at all. And I just sat there thinking, I can't handle this if this plane's just going to fire up and be good to go. Because that, that's ridiculous. It makes no sense at all. I mean, mechanics... When they put tires on your car, they take time to balance the tires, right? Mm-hmm. You have those little weights on the rim to make sure that they're spinning and that they're not all wobbly and stuff. When you get a propeller on a plane and that thing spins up, you want that thing to be pretty well balanced. You want the, the drive uh-huh. shaft to be like smooth and operating properly because if there's any wobble in there whatsoever, that sucker's going to fly apart. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think that they have the machinery and technology uh, to properly balance a propeller. Yeah. No, I don't think they do either. Uh, my father-in-law worked as an engineer for his career. He was yeah. trained as an aeronautical engineer and his job with the, uh, power generation company here in Ontario was to go around to power plants that had giant turbines in them and do all the math and the calculation to balance those turbine engines so when they spun, they didn't explode, basically. Oh, wow. And I thought that was a pretty cool job, to be honest, but a very important one, because if that thing is not balanced and weighted correctly, it's not going to work, and there are going to be crazy, uh, um, not circumstances, uh, results, results or whatever, yeah. Yeah, people die, uh, lots of property damage. Uh, Maybe, you know, those big power plants, you if they're wobbling out of control, they probably shut them down from a controller in a safe location, right? Sure. I would, I, anyway, so maybe not people die, but, you know, flying apart into a billion pieces and breaking other things and mm-hmm. costing lots and lots of money and making our electricity bill go up. Consequences. That's the word Consequences. I was to That's of. a good word. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, re- fixing the plane seems crazy and I couldn't buy into it. And the other thing I was thinking is, while all this is going on, I wish the other characters were more curious about this helicopter, right? Like, I know Al didn't admit to meeting Isabel or coming this close to the helicopter or anything yeah. like that, but Al actually even mentions it to June in this uh-huh. episode, and June just kind of shrugs it off. And I'm like, oh well, my she, God, ask more questions. There's a helicopter contra- flying yeah, around. Yeah, and she directly contradicted what she, what she contradicted what she said in the last episode. She said she saw the helicopter fly by. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. And in this episode, she says, "Well, I could have if I would have could have prevented that helicopter from taking off." It's like, what do you mean you saw the helicopter and it wasn't flying by? Uh, you know, tell me more. I think Al said she heard it, but she couldn't find it. But you're right. I mean, it kind of does contradict her story. But June 
just seems to ignore that and and move on. Oh, and my just, bullshit meter would have flew off the charts at that point. I'm like, yeah, okay, you're lying about something. You're gonna have to tell me the story about this uh, this lady that you met and then uh, uh, had sex with in the woods. <laughs> I assume. Yeah, I assume. Right. Uh, I, I, to me, it just felt unrealistic that they'd be so disinterested in what's probably their best option to get out of there. Right. There's a helicopter flying around. Instead, we spend all our time loading a, a wrecked aircraft onto a truck. We have trucks. Can't we just push some oh, of yeah. these cars out of the way with these big trucks? This is a goddamn convoy shows up at the compound here. We're like, where'd they get all those trucks? Yeah, I know. They have trucks, but they can't get through some stalled cars on the road. It's a whole different thing. Uh, anyways, maybe, I just Maybe, maybe think there's a dumb. lot of trucks, but there's no tow trucks within a thousand miles. Because a tow truck would probably solve all their problems. We'll move that car out of the way, mm-hmm. and then we'll move that car out of the way. It might take a couple of days, but uh, they could move all the cars out of the way. It's not like those cars are fused together. It's not like an, uh, you know, some kind of uh, Iron Man bomb went off uh, and fused all the cars together into this big wad of metal. <laughs> I assume Iron Man does that. I, I don't see why not. He is Iron Man after all. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, find a tow truck. Start throwing the goddamn cars out of the way. Or, clear the road. Yeah. Uh, you or know, if the bridges are washed out. Uh, okay. So what you do at that point is you ford the river somehow uh, and then get on the other side and then find another t- tow truck and clear the rest of the way. There are so many unanswered questions and better options than what they're doing. But let's and, talk and about- speaking of the helicopter, speaking okay. of the helicopter, if, okay, it is not the zombie apocalypse in our world. If no. I was sitting down with you and you were doing something and I was doing something and then you said something about uh, preventing a helicopter from taking off that you had not mentioned before, I'd start asking questions. You saw a helicopter, you were close to a helicopter because, you know, it's been a long time since I've been within spitting distance of an actual helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you were- talking about a helicopter that you saw that you just passed mentioned in passing, I'd start asking questions. What helicopter? You know, where did you see, where were you that you saw a helicopter? This right. is interesting to me. Of course. people don't normally just walk by helicopters. No. And this is real life, you know? It, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in the zombie apocalypse where helicopters all, you're like, it's a big deal that you heard a helicopter. It's a big deal that you saw a helicopter. It's a big deal that you say, I, you know, I should have prevented that helicopter from taking off. What? <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's unexplainable. It, it really is. I, I don't understand how they expect the audience to buy into this, the way it's going. They're, but. they're all adult minded. I don't know how, they're just all adult minded. What does that mean? They're just, they're addled. They're, they're, oh. Their brains are not working. They're not firing in all four pistons. Doesn't seem like it, no. Yeah. And even Morgan, he doesn't like his stick, right? Obviously there was some kind of plot about his, his stick that he had. He didn't, he didn't like the one he had that's bent at the end. Well, uh, he, he got, um, Grace took his stick because it got radioactive yeah. and yeah. then he got a, a pipe for a while. Yeah. He had a pipe for a while. He didn't like the pipe. Uh-huh. So he went looking for a mop and- <laughs> Okay, he picks up the mop. Okay, fine. It's got a it's got a wooden stick on it. Mops are great for wooden stick. It's a hard it's a hardwood stick that is perfectly, you know, smooth and and robust. And he looks at the end of the mop and you can see that the that the mop head is riveted onto the stick. So mm-hmm. what does he start doing? Start doing? He starts banging it on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's like, "No, okay, get a saw, cut the fucking head off." <laughs> 
You're not just banging on the ground, you moron. Yeah. You're not going to get the mop head off that way. If you're going to break the stick, that's one thing, but you probably want a stick that isn't breakable like that. So, you know, uh, you got tools. There's friggin' blow torches, apparently, that everybody knows how to use. I bet you out there in this this uh, this compound that you have, there's a friggin' saw, a hacksaw. Get the blow torch. Cut it off with the blow torch. Anything. Anyway, Anything. Just, other than morons, just banging on the ground. All, they've all gone stupid. <laughs> Somehow, somehow they have. I, I don't know, man. Uh, but I want to talk about my positive okay. uh, take or the my things I feel a little bit more positive about in this episode. And of course, as I mentioned before, that has anything to do with June and John. Now, June didn't play a huge part in this episode because John and Dwight took off together uh, on their hunt for Sherry. But, but June did have a, a smaller part where she was attending to Annie's sprained ankle and I didn't mind that scene. I appreciated it. I I enjoyed seeing June sort of take that maternal role with the girl. Yep. Um, although, it for some reason, it made me think about Luciana, who's sort of trying to do the same thing with uh, the other kid. But for some reason, in that case, I don't buy it at all. I don't see Lucy right. as a mother figure, whereas for June, it totally works for me. So they're different characters, and I get that. Um, but anyways, it was fine with June. Uh, but then John and Dwight go out on the road looking for Sherry. And I think what it is I like about that is these guys have a purpose. Like they're doing something that's not yeah. ridiculous. They're checking VIN numbers on cars. Is that their purpose? No, their purpose is to find this guy's love of his life, right? I know, but they're they're checking VIN numbers. Like, and they come across the correct VIN number. When was the last time you looked at a VIN number? Well, <laughs> Maybe never, but the point is they have, they're doing something, they have a plan, and honestly, it's a goal I can buy into, right? It okay. works, it works with John's character because he found the woman he loves, Dwight hasn't found her yet, he had her, he lost her, and he's trying to get her back, and that's a very basic human story, right? Find and stay with the person you love. So, you know, you can... That's relatable to a lot of people and doesn't seem ridiculous. So I think that's the main reason I like this. I, I kind of like Dwight as a character more than I used to. And I, everyone knows I've always liked John. So watching these guys get together and go searching for Sherry works for me. Okay. And if they got rid of everything else and made the entire episode that, I feel like we'd be on the right track. Well, I mean, they do. Uh, they're compelling characters with distinctive styles and uh entertaining so i i agree with you that uh that this episode could be you know they're basically a buddy cop duo searching for their uh, uh their subject whatever that in this happens to be his wife mm-hmm. right so they're they're searching for things but it got, it also gets into the realm of ridiculous like i don't understand you know sherry's is is going across the country, writing down VIN numbers, saying, look for this vehicle. Like, why not say, you know, look for a red Pontiac Grand Am, a license plate, uh, whatever, right? That's probably enough to identify a car uh, yeah. because I bet you people aren't swapping license plates in this day and age. No. I, and I understand. Cars. I understand what you're saying. The Some of the details of the search are kind of weird like that. You know, why would she be doing that? Why wouldn't she stay in a place a little bit longer? You know, why is it a scavenger hunt? I mean, those yeah, are well, yeah. those are questions that um, 
I mean, I don't really have a good answer to, but because... Do I have to? I think I have to compare this to Last Man on Earth, right? So we have Sherry tra traveling across the country, uh -huh. uh, leaving clues for someone to try and find her. And she's like writing obscure notes and leaving them in glove boxes and writing down VIN numbers for uh, the, the trail to follow. And in Last Man on Earth, he drives around writing on friggin' big billboards alive in Tucson. It's from the pilot of the of the series, so I don't I don't feel too bad about spoiling it. And it's from the opening the, the cold open of that show. So it's alive in Tucson. Right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty obvious. You know, why not grab a spray paint can, because I bet you there's still spray paint cans kicking around in the zombie apocalypse and write Dwight, I'm in uh, Austin, Texas at the corner of I'll be at the corner <laughs> of blah 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 and I'll stay there for a year. Yeah. No, I know. I, and I get it. And I sort of, I'm, because I like the characters, because I can at least buy into their ultimate goal. Right. The, the journey to it, I, I don't feel the need to ask some of the harder questions about it. Like I do with Morgan and everybody's need to escape or need to get out of this area. Right. So... I know it's a little hypocritical to say, like, you know, one ridiculous story is better than another ridiculous story, but that's just the way it is. And it, it comes down to uh, John and Dwight and June to a degree, because I, I think she could be there, too, and everything would be fine. Um, and the other thing is, though, it, th there are character moments we get with these characters um, on this mission, you know? John in this episode admitted that the zombie apocalypse, he says, gave me all I had. And like he, I, I feel like he had sort of an unsatisfying life before the zombie apocalypse. And he's a character like um, Daryl Dixon, who kind of got more out of the zombie apocalypse than he did about out of his life beforehand. Yeah, and, or the governor or Negan. Right, exactly. <laughs> but John took the, the the high road, you know, he took the more noble route to it through, through it yeah. all. Um, and John even says, you know, I got more out of this than my life before. And that's hard to deal with. Like he admits that that's, that's a difficult thing to come to terms with. You know, when, when the world is chugging along like normal and people have jobs and everyone's around and it's, everything's hunky dory. I wasn't really, you know, into it. Now there's dead people walking around and it's danger around every corner, but this is more for me. That's, that's difficult, man. And, 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 and the way John Dory has turned out being such a good guy, being so caring and it's, it's really quite fascinating. So that's just another thing I think about with him that makes me want to watch him all day instead of everybody else. All right, let's get a, as long as we're talking about flying vehicles, let's take a helicopter that we know exists and we're going to go and we're going to pluck John Dory right out of this show and we're going to put him in, uh, you know, either put him in the uh, the Walking Dead, the big show, mm -hmm. or stick him with Rick in the movies, because I think that might be interesting as well, with Rick and John Dory all in the same place. Maybe uh, have June tag along, that's fine. But uh, let's, you know, he's 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 uh, he's a bright spot in a uh, you know a uh, a flaming pile of dog poop. Well, I mean, he's a bright spot in a rather dark <laughs> uh, corner of TV right now. Uh, yeah. So let's get him out of there. 
let's spin him off into his own show or bring him into, you know, if we could bring Morgan from the big show into here, if we can bring Dwight from the big show into here, we can transport some characters that we like out of this show and bring them into the big show when this thing uh, takes a big giant dump and they cancel it. Well, when, why not? I they bring, yeah, people can go the other way. I don't see why not. They won't. Sad, but I wish they would. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about John finding the letter a little bit and what this letter means. So he, he, He's searching a car, he finds a letter from Sherry, and the letter says, Dwight, stop looking for me, um, find something else in your life to live for, and, you know, don't give up on yourself, but don't, but, but give up on me. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, I don't understand that. If she's been leaving him these, this trail for months, possibly years now, why would she all of a sudden be like, no, don't keep searching for me it doesn't make any sense uh and i also honestly would have preferred for john to show him the letter because i understand why they did it this way john dory thinks that you know if he shows him this letter it will just be totally heartbreaking for dwight and he will lose all will to live or to do anything and so he's going to hide it from him so they can keep looking for sherry in hopes that they'll find her and she'll change her mind but what I was hoping for was, here, Dwight, look at this. And instead of discouraging Dwight, it would reinvigorate him and reinvigorate his desire to find her, kind of a prove his love to her kind of thing. That's what I yeah. wanted to see. But that's not what we got. We got this classic situation where a character's hiding something and it's going to mean maybe a future conflict between them. Yeah, it's a romantic comedy trope. Right. To be specific. So <laughs> some, for some reason, we have this romantic comedy hiding information uh, between two people that will come to a head later, uh, and then they'll resolve their differences afterwards and, uh, you know, right off into the sunset together. Yeah, it will. And that seems so tropey and so formulaic. But I think if he'd shown him the letter and Dwight for a moment was discouraged, but then was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm still going to find her. Uh, she's the woman for me. I'm not going to give up. I think yeah, that why would he give up? I think that would have been better. It would have been a twist on that whole situation. And it just feels like they've gone down the road of, well, like you said, romantic comedy, and this is what you do in yeah. romantic comedies. You know, I've had, I've had women break up with me saying, I'm no good for you. Uh, you know, you need something... More than than me, and it just makes you want them more, right? It doesn't make me go, okay, fine, you're a bitch, fuck off. It doesn't do that. Ouch. (laughs) It makes me go, oh well, let me decide how I feel about you. Uh Uh, So you know, stop assigning me emotions and telling me how to feel and what's good for me. I get to decide what's good for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I've made stupid decisions. I've made bad decisions, and I thank God for every single one of them. Absolutely, you can't because it because it brought me to where I am now. And you're in a pretty good place. Let me ask you one more question. Yeah. And maybe I'm just missing something here. But, I mean, does Sherry know Dwight is looking for her? No. I mean, obviously, obviously she's leaving these notes in this trail. So she must have some idea. But does she actually know he's following her around the country? Absolutely not. She just took off. She doesn't know. So she would have no way of knowing, right? Not even a little one. Okay. That just... Unless she is following him, tracking her down. Maybe it's some kind of circular thing. Maybe she's, she's you know, 
keeping tabs on his tracking her down because she's sadistic. I don't know. I, sure exactly I don't know what her game is. I just feel like I have to be missing something there, but I can't think of a way she would really know. But then it also doesn't explain why she would be leaving this trail or why she'd be continuing to move and whatever. I mean, continuing to move would be one thing, but why leave a trail? I guess she left the the original note, but that was an agreed upon meeting place for them, right? It was, yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm not sure I'm putting everything together there, but whatever. I just wanted it's, Dwight it, to keep the search going. It's such a subtle scavenger hunt. I mean, the last note that they find that brings them to the next step is that it was a note written on a uh, a diner order slip that was stuck on a diner order slip wheel that they used to track their orders in the kitchen. And it was like invisible ink kind of thing. Well, it faded. You know, that's that's yeah. one thing. And they, they solved that problem. But that's how she left the note. Right. Right. She's like, okay, Dwight, blah, blah, blah. I didn't even get a chance to really read the note. Uh, but uh, she wrote it and stuck it on the thing, expecting him to find it. She's hiding a note inside the glove box of a car where she, I assume told him in the note what the VIN number of the car was. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure if the, the note indicated the make and the model of the car. It's just like, look for this VIN number. Oh my God, what are you, crazy? I'm not going to look at all the VIN numbers in the world <laughs> for the car you're referencing. Uh-huh. Like, give me a color, you know, or something. License plates are great identifiers for vehicles. They're fantastic. The police use them all the time. It's kind of the idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the point. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, they're pretty they're pretty reliable for identifying uniquely a vehicle. I mean, they're not absolutely reliable. That's why they have VIN numbers. But like I say, very few people are changing license plates in the zombie apocalypse. No. Why would you care? People steal license plates to put on other cars to disguise them, right? But yeah, that's probably not happening in the zombie apocalypse. But the police catch that. It's like, oh, that uh, that red yeah. Pontiac Grand Am has a license plate for a, a, a you know a Ford F one fifty. Like <laughs> something's a little weird about that. <laughs> I may have to pull that car over. Maybe just ask the question. Yeah. What the hell, dude? Because <laughs> that's how police talk. Of course. Uh, every time I've been pulled over, the cop walks up to my door and says, "Excuse me, sir. What the hell? <laughs> what the hell, dude? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I was like, you know." Whatever. The cop's like, well, I'm going to have to give you one of these guys. <laughs> For being a little bit whatever. Yeah. All right. I'm going to play a call here from Eric in Virginia about uh, Dwight and John's stuff. And it's it's a little long, but I think Eric kind of sums it all up. Hey, Chris and Jason. Eric from Virginia. I wanted to leave some feedback and speculate as to why John didn't tell Dwight about Sherry's final letter. I know that this scenario is a bit of a trope, but I think given the arcs of these characters and especially their respective romantic histories, John's actions really do make sense here. I know it's common to tell your spouse or significant other that they're your whole world or your everything, but most of us have other things that give us joy, satisfaction, meaning, or purpose in life, such as friends, family, work, communities, a life mission, or religion. Without June... John still has the group in their quest to help others, but Dwight doesn't really have any of those things. For Dwight, Sherry really is his whole reason for being. If June died, I could imagine John going back to the way he was before. Like in Rick's famous phrase, we are the walking dead. Not really living, just surviving. But without Sherry, the audience as well as John is led to believe that 
Dwight wouldn't survive at all. That he wouldn't be the walking dead. He'd be the dead dead. And Sherry seems to think so too, as she writes in the final line of her letter, Even though this is the end of us, please don't let it be the end of you too. Find something to live for and live. She also says she had given him hope, but now wants to give him a chance. I imagine when John is trying to decide whether or not to share the letter with Dwight, this concept is what he's lingering on. The hope of finding Sherry is the only thing keeping Dwight going. So at the end of this letter, John is being driven by some pretty strong emotions. The sadness from Sherry's letter, uh, empathy with Dwight's plight and imagining how this information could totally crush him, uh, as well as overwhelming guilt for how differently things played out for himself in June. So when Dwight comes out of the house all excited and hopeful, John just can't lay this on him. Not because he wants to deceive Dwight, but because he just can't convince himself to take away the light of Dwight's life. In closing, uh, great performances from Garrett and Austin, and I can't wait to hear from everyone else. All right. Thanks, Eric. So, you know, I think Eric and I are sort of getting to the same place here. It's just that he's saying that John is trying to protect Dwight and ensure he continues on. And I personally wanted that decision to come from Dwight himself, not be, yeah. have it imposed on him. That's, that's really the only difference. That's all I ask of anybody. Yeah. Is that people are able to make their own decisions and don't impose your morals on other people for their own good. Exactly. Sorry. I shouldn't have just said me. That's what you were saying as well, right? It's, you know, it's let the character be strong instead of be fooled into doing something to be let down later or, you know, have conflict with somebody later. Um, I think it's just as interesting, if not more interesting from a character's perspective to have Dwight hear this information and be like, you know what? Forget it. I'm still going to find her. Yeah. And, and in were- my personal opinion, more communication or less communication is never better than more communication. Almost always. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it just when you hide things, it, uh, it never works out better than if you just share and discuss stuff. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, Let's move on. Uh, Karen in Los Angeles wrote in and said, I'll start with saying that I've decided I'm just going down with the Walking Dead ship, the good, the bad, and the ugly. This show goes through both extremes, great content and terrible content. My favorite part of the episode is Alicia's line to Morgan, so you fix the mop, <laughs> which is kind of what you were talking about earlier, where he, uh-huh. he, he does eventually get the mop handle to become his new... Uh, his new staff, but yeah, Alicia, he keeps banging it on stuff until it's his new staff. Yeah. But Alicia comes out and says, you fixed the mop, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Karen goes on. I wish they would do something more interesting with her character or just give her better lines like that. My least favorite, and I'm sure everyone else's the fucking terrible, horrible, hot air balloon green screen. Charlie's hair isn't even blowing in the wind. And it just looks so fake. Strand at least had a good line at the end about the giant coaster to at least save the scene from being altogether stupid. <laughs> okay. So. Do, does nobody on the show understand how hot air balloons work? Well. Like you, you, pull, you pull the thing, you start the, you, you get the propane tank, you hook it up, you, you start the flame, you pull, you pull the thing to make the air go hot, right? I'm 
couching it in very simple terms. Uh-huh. You pull the thing, air gets hot, thing goes up. At that point, you're at the mercy of whatever the hell's going on in the atmosphere. <laughs> That's like, right. You don't get to pick your direction, as far as I know. I mean, I don't really, I've only been in a hot air balloon once, and the whole time it was tethered to the ground. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, So okay. it didn't go anywhere. We went up. And then it did reach the end of its ropes for a little while. And then they stopped pulling the thing that made the air hot and the air didn't get so hot and it settled down nicely and we got out of the goddamn balloon. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever been in a hot air balloon, but I'm pretty sure that you don't get to go, I'm going to go up and then go over that mountain. Uh, no, probably the not. The choice is not yours. Uh, I think you go up for a while and then a truck chases you where you happen to semi-crash land because that's how hot air balloons get to the ground is that they fall out of the sky slowly, hopefully. And then a truck comes and picks you up because you can't choose where you're going. There's no landing strip for a hot air balloon. So Strand, first of all, understanding how to get a hot air balloon to be... Yeah. Like, how do you get the air into the balloon to heat it up? It's a time-consuming, difficult process involving huge fans that you have to plug in somewhere. Anyway, hot air balloon goes up. They then decide we're going to go over the mountain we choose. Uh, The prevailing winds are going to take us over the mountain. And then when they get there, it's like, oh, my goodness, there's a radiation zone. We better crash land right now. Uh, Well, I mean, they didn't choose to crash land. Uh, You know, you've covered a lot of the problems with it. I'm going to play this call from Lee here about it. He may mention some of the same things, but I also have a few comments. But let's listen to Lee first. All right. Okay, the blimp. Um, Well, the wind's got to be going the right direction. Victor's got to be kind of an expert in that, too. I guess you could just pull a fucking lever and the (laughs) propane burns off and up you go, I hope. (laughs) Um, my biggest problem with that is, you remember season one, episode one, the pilot, and Rick sees that helicopter, and a shitload of zombies saw that helicopter, and the end of season two, that's where that horde came from, and they decimated the farm. Well, is Fear going to have a horde in the next episode or two and decimate wherever they are? Because a blimp, it's silent, so maybe not, but everybody for... Miles and miles and miles saw that. So that's a giant calling card to everybody. But, you know, whatever. And he's an expert in that. And Al's an expert also in repairing planes. A lot of uh, experts in this group, which I'm glad they have. Otherwise, who would we have, right? Uh, talk to you guys later. Bye. Yeah. So, I mean, Lee's rather blunt. You just pulled fucking lever and the Pull propane fucking burns lever. Yeah, It's poetic swearing there. Perfect. It- it was it was very well done. I liked it a lot. Uh, but yeah, air going or wind going the right way, as you were saying. Strand has to be an expert on on balloons now because everybody has these secret hidden expert talents on this show. All right. So, do you know how to tie a hot air balloon to the uh, basket? No, of course not. Me neither. <laughs> do you know how to hook? A, I could probably hook up a propane tank to the uh, the, the burner thing. Uh, because they probably have, uh, you know, coupling things like, like a garden hose, like you put, take one end of the garden hose and you try and attach it to the, uh, the, the, the thing that sprays water onto your flowers. And if the thing doesn't attach, then you go to the Home Depot and you buy a thing that converts the, the end of your hose to the thing that attaches to the goddamn flower spraying thing. Yes. The nozzle. 
nozzle, whatever. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> Not a big but, on gardening. Or, or, but that's the kind of thing that I think that a propane uh, hookup would be for a hot air balloon. It's like, okay, well, just you put this knob into this this hole and you, you screw the thing closed uh, and you're good to go. Then you pull the fucking lever and the thing goes up. <laughs> You right? know, I've, I've hooked a propane tank up to a barbecue lots of times. It's got to be the same, right? It's gotten pretty much the same. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it would be a whole lot different. I, I would think that that kind of thing would be designed to be hard to screw up. Maybe. But, you know, I pull the lever on my barbecue and it floats up in the air all the time. So I must be doing it right. Yeah. Well, you've got a hot air barbecue. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay, so it's important. It's a you know, distinct difference. Mine's made out of iron. doesn't float. The thing I cook my food on floats around the backyard constantly. Uh, so yes. So it's all stupid. It looked bad. We've gone over how the, it was just terrible. I wrote down, it's like, like out of a old Willy Wonka chocolate factory movie with him and Willie floating around in a thing. It just looked terrible to me. You know what? what? My webcam probably, my webcam software has probably has features. I know it has a feature to blur the background, but it probably has a feature to swap out like scenic backgrounds and it probably does a better job than what I just saw on this television show. I mean, or at least as, as equally crappy a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. We got to be better at it by now, right? This technology has been around for a long time. No, it has. It's just they didn't spend the time or the, I guess, the money to do it right. You know, uh, when it, our um, our actual plane crash scene in the first episode. I mean, I know we didn't see the plane crash, but the wreckage and all that kind of stuff. It felt more realistic to me. Maybe it's a totally different thing. Maybe you can't compare because that's all on the ground and so on. But um, this just looked bad. It just looked really, really bad. And then I have another question. Yeah. When Charlie finds Jim's, you know, brewery flyer and she holds it up to the camera and is like, I've got the answer. Did you have any idea what she was talking about when you saw that flyer? No. No, neither did I. I I'm like, are we supposed to understand what she means or is this going to be a surprise later? And obviously it was supposed to be a surprise later. But I looked at that flyer and was like... Oh, good. Beer again? Beer is going to save the day? It seems like a kind of a running thing with Strand and Sarah and everybody. So I didn't get it at the time, but I guess they wanted us to be surprised and they wanted everyone to have that, oh my God, moment when the friggin' hot air balloon was flying over or or blimp, as Lee called it. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand, uh, you know, I'm not much of a beer drinker, but I can understand how beer could save the day or at least make a bad day better. Sure. Yeah. Right? That's so totally that, a thing. So yeah, beer can, beer can save the day. So the alcohol, the, uh, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. this show is just, uh, going with that idea. A blimp. You see, a blimp would actually be better because those things have engines to push the damn thing forward. Right. You can almost pick a direction with a blimp. Like I mean, not always, depending on the wind, like if the wind's too stronger than your fans that are pushing you forward, then you're not going to go forward. But uh, at least you have some option. You can try to go where you want to go. Yeah. It's the difference between a, uh, a helium balloon and a butterfly. A helium balloon, you just let up in the air, it just goes wherever the hell you want. A butterfly at least has a brain to try and go in a particular direction. It's not always successful. 
because it's a goddamn butterfly and it can mainly go in sort of a good direction, but they don't really have a lot of choice on where they land or what they do. They just kind of flap their wings for a while and go, oh, geez, I hope I land on that particular flower while I landed on this other flower. I hope it's okay. It tastes fine. Yeah, it'll have to do. Because they taste with their feet. Ooh, neat. Really? Yeah, they yeah. really do. I'm really glad I don't taste with my feet. <laughs> Me too. Jeez. Uh, all right. Well, that's enough. Balloon. Uh, Grace. Grace is back in this episode. Morgan contacts her and she reveals that there's going to be another nuclear meltdown. The reactor is yeah. going to melt down again. <laughs> so so everybody. A portable generator. I know. A little portable generator is going to power a nuclear power plant, Jason. Well, it's the cooling. It's the cooling pumps. She's trying to cool this thing off, right? For at least a little while longer. But. The emergency generators on nuclear power plants are buildings with big goddamn generators inside of them that run on thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of diesel. What they have is a portable generator. Granted, it's a big one, but I really don't think it'll power the cooling system. We'll have enough juice to power the cooling system of a nuclear power plant. No, but we're just not supposed to ask these questions. Like, the show is coming at us with this stuff going, you know what, just don't pay attention to that. Suspend your disbelief. This is this thing makes power. The plant needs power, so it's power. Come on. Yeah. Well, on the plus side, when the, you know, Morgan was uh, dropping off the generator and when he saw a stick in the bag, which she still has in the back of her truck for some reason, uh, the one of the cars was parked in the front, uh, in front of them with another car parked in front of it. And they, the car still had the word dang painted on it right it's your favorite favorite thing yeah i love it i just that they keep cutting off that juror part so just said dang well can i uh can i ask does wrapping an a radioactive staff in plastic bags make it safe uh well it depends okay so um i think what they're trying to protect themselves from is radioactive dust so it's uh, you know, stuff that's radioactive that's flying around the atmosphere, right? So if this radioactive dust has settled on the stick, then wrapping it in plastic will not let the dust out. That makes sense. Right? So that uh, that kind of makes sense. But if it's, you know, if it was, you know, the stick had a little piece of uh, uranium on it, the radioactive uranium, the plastic bag probably wouldn't be enough. You'd need something a little more leady. Uh, but uh, from, you know, preventing the dust getting out. But if you're in a radioactive zone and you have a radioactive stick and you wrap it in plastic, the plastic plastic's now radioactive too. So I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it really doesn't do you a whole lot of good. So throw the goddamn thing away. Like, Just don't keep it, it around. It's garbage. It's not something you want to have in your truck. No, I guess not. Anyways, I, I wanted to mention Grace because to me it now feels, I mean, her she was introduced because... We had these this radioactive zone, and we had zombies that were radioactive. Now they were all marked because she was hanging those thingers on their around their necks, and so we knew who they were. But we know they're dangerous, right? And obviously now Strand and Charlie have landed in the radioactive zone, and they are um, threatened by these radioactive zombies. But the plant itself, I think, now has just been introduced as a MacGuffin to give everyone a deadline to get out of there. They're trying to escape, and now they have to do it before the plant melts down again. Otherwise, they're all going to be infected with radioactivity. Yeah. There's no other reason for it to be there. It created the radioactive zombies. It already melted down once. Why not just let it be? 
it's melting down again so that there's a deadline. And I'm like, you know what? We don't need the deadline. Just go about the show. It seems unnecessary. So, Well, you know, it compounded with all the other unnecessary stuff and you've got, uh, you've got drama. But it also kind of feels like it, it, it means that there's nothing else really all that dangerous. It's like they're stuck here, yes, but but what's what's the harm? Oh, yeah. oh, the plant. Oh no, we're stuck here with plenty of food and water and supplies and uh, trucks with gasoline. And uh, I I have the show on in the background here, and they have a tow truck. They have it. It's, it's in the compound. Yeah, an actual real life tow truck. Uh huh. Sitting right so, there. Right, sitting right there. Wonder what we could do with that tow truck. Uh, wonder, uh, and all the roads are blocked with cars. <laughs> oh no! What are we going I to better do? Better fix a plane but that th- crashed. This is what I mean. Like they're not in any imminent danger other than the zombies hanging around, but they can deal with them now. They don't have any threats. Like there's no bad guy. Well, there's no bad guy. He took over their denim factory, but he hasn't been in. Yeah, they want to go back to that. They're going to go back to that, exactly. They're going to go back to the bad guy and not go away somewhere else. So the nuclear power plant melting down is the danger. It's the thing that's the show has written in to push them forward, to make them do something, right? Uh, Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't have to do anything. And that's well, terrible. Yeah, and it's not really, I mean, until just this very moment, it's not a danger. And yet they've been trying to get back uh, ever since. and. The only thing pushing them forward right now, before the nuclear power plant, which just now became an issue, is, uh, oh, we want to help people. Right. And that- On these people, we've tried. So now let's go back. Mm -hmm. We better figure out a way to go back. Yeah. No, I know. By plane or by helicopter or by blimp. Sure. The the nuclear plant melting down was introduced way too late to be uh, something- that was really, you know, the danger sort of in this, in this season, yeah. in this season. Because they're trying to achieve this goal anyway. Like it's not really the thing that's making them want to go and do uh, what they want to do. They want to do that anyway. They want to get back over the mountain regardless. It just happens to be a nuclear power plant on this side of the mountain now. Yep. It's not driving them anywhere. It's just, it's telling us that they have uh, a need to get away, but. They're really not expressing that as characters. Oh shit, we got to get away from this nuclear power plant. It's going to uh, blow up. It's just like, oh, well, we got to get over the mountain. We better fix this plane. Oh yeah, there's a nuclear power plant that's, that's going to blow up. We better give them our generator. Well, that yeah, but that's kind of what I'm saying. Like they, the plant wasn't going to melt down a second time until this episode. So it yes. wasn't pushing them. It wasn't even a problem before other than, yes, it's this contaminated area, but they were just staying out of it. Now they've, made it so the plant is giving them a deadline to escape. And that's supposed to cause the drama, I guess, for the last two episodes before the break. Yeah. I, we'll see. They, I don't know. Maybe I'm got to fight Max Headroom. And then they got to fight Max Headroom. Which, for denim. Which I've all but forgotten about at this point, to be quite <laughs> oh, yeah. honest. Like, I don't even care anymore that he's taken over their denim factory. You know, just walk the other way and find another denim factory to live in. There's probably plenty of them around there. Yeah, there's probably a taffeta factory that they could probably move into, which is a lot more comfortable than a denim factory, I would assume. Probably, yeah. Okay, I got to be honest here. I'm not quite sure what taffeta is, but (laughs) that's okay. But hey, why not throw around words you don't know the meaning of? (laughs) I'm pretty sure what denim is. Oh yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, All right, I'm going to play a call here from James in London. I think James talks about the balloon a little bit more, uh, but some other stuff as well. 
Ah,、uh, hi, Chris and Jason. Just really wanted to leave you some feedback on the last fear episode.、Um, there's quite a lot of things I could say about it, but I just think my overriding memory of the whole thing was the hot air balloon scene, and just how cheap the whole thing looked. And you could see the blue screen. You could see the wind machine they were using. All they had to do was film that outside. They didn't even need to put them up hundreds of feet in the air, and that scene would have looked plausible. But it looked cheap as hell. And also, when they crashed, it's like, uh, well, we can't actually afford to show a hot air balloon crash. But here's one we threw on the floor earlier with some people walking out of it completely unscathed. But anyway, that's just a minor nitpick. But overall, this season. Is crap like Strand and Salazar are my two favourite characters. They've completely fucked up that storyline. The rest of them, I quite enjoyed Alicia and Morgan's little、um, back and forth this episode. I thought that was quite sweet because I think Alicia's kind of struggling for her role in the show at the moment. In fact, I think everyone is. But there we go. Anyway, I just wanted to say I really, really appreciate your podcast and thanks very much for everything you do. And take care. Thank you so much, James. I remember now. I wanted to play that because that's right. They didn't show the crash because I guess if they couldn't afford to do decent hot air balloon、uh, green screen, I mean they're not going to be showing the crash.、Uh, so of course. And then the other th- point he had there is like the char- some of the characters are just struggling to find their roles. You know what I mean? Or what、yeah. what J- James means that they just feel they don't feel like they're. Real characters anymore, and、uh, Alicia is, you know, one of the biggest、um, problems in that area. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, so far in this particular episode, her character is.、Uh, I want to help you、uh, against your will. Right. <laughs> like, they they want to the kids want to leave,、uh, and it's like, well, here's a car, no strings attached, except for you got to tell me why. Uh, well, you know, or what happened, and she does, you know, a, a very compelling story, which is probably my favorite part of the、uh, the entire episode was、uh, that story about how the parents all got irradiated、mm-hmm. and、uh, had to leave the kids on their own. Like, how friggin' heart wrenching is that? Yeah, it's pretty you know, bad. It's,、uh, you know, it's one of my worst fears as a, as a parent of,、uh, you know, <laughs> what happens if. Me and Jenny die in our sleep, becoming、Jasper、irradiated. Wakes up the next morning, yeah, becoming irradiated. I do live next near near a power plant. I know nuclear power plant. So what if I wake up irradiated, and Jasper has to survive on his own for a little while? I gotta stop talking about that. It's making me upset. Anyway,、yeah, I understand. So that's the best part of the episode was that kind of heart wrenching story. So Alicia gives <laughs> gives her the keys to a car and says, "You can leave if you want to." And when she does, Alicia goes after them. Of course. Like, what the hell? Like they wanted to leave, you said you could go, and now I'm going to go into a, a an irradiated zone to look for you.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to, you know, I know what's best for you. You obviously don't, even though I said that you can go and do whatever you want. I'm not going to let you do that. I wanted, you know, that was what was that reverse psychology? It's like you can do whatever you want as long as it's exactly what I want you to do. Yeah, go do this if you really want to, and giving them permission might. Make them be like, well, we don't want to do that. We're going to stay. <laughs> yeah, it's like telling your kid you can paint your room whatever color you want as long as it's blue. Right. It's the illusion of choice. Anyways, I I don't know. I mean, the show is not making me care very much about most of these characters. Right. Obviously, John and Dwight and June are exempt from that. 
But everybody else, I'm sort of like, you know what? You guys are all kind of boring now. I don't understand what you're doing, why you're doing them. Alicia feels like a completely different person than she did two years ago. And obviously the zombie apocalypse changes someone. She was 17 when the when the apocalypse started or whatever. She's older now. People do change. But she doesn't feel like the same character. She just feels like a completely different person. There's got to be something recognizable there. And I just realized that I don't really feel a lot of emotion for very many of them. I don't get scared for them. I don't get, you know excited or even empathetic usually for any of these characters and I think that's probably the biggest problem right now with everything that's going on on this show it's just not working it it's not working it's not working I think that kind of hits the nail right on the head that the show is not working and I can't imagine that it's going to get picked up for a sixth season yeah I I don't know I mean it feels like AMC is reluctant to cancel Walking Dead shows not that they've really needed to until now. You know what I mean? Walking Dead, the main show, obviously it's very different than it was, but they've successfully reinvented that thing in the post-Rick Grimes era um, with the new showrunner, and and it's better than it's been in a long time, and that's great. I guess that's possible with Fear the Walking Dead, but it's hard to imagine at this point. Yeah, it's also hard to imagine that uh, studios will cancel the show based on quality. Well, I, I mean, right? do they even... Because if they canceled based on quality, Firefly would still be on the air. <laughs> or at least it would have lasted longer than it did. But, I mean, someone decided, someone watched this and and was like, yeah, that's good, we'll air that, you know? Well, what choice do they have at that point, I right? guess once it's done, they don't have a lot of choice. It's just like, uh, yeah, do we have to air that? <laughs> yeah, we kind of do. Because otherwise, <laughs> it's just completely lost money. And uh, then we won't have an episode and the next one won't make any friggin' sense. Yeah, I guess they can't just not, but someone's got to be, like you said, sitting there realizing that this is not of the quality level that it needs to be. And unless they write the ship soon, they've got to move on from it, I think. So I don't know. I don't know. It was really disappointing this week, so... Yeah. I, I, I hope they can turn it around. I hope the next two can be great, but I'm just, I'm not so sure I see it happening at this point. Yeah. I guess the, the closing thought I have is the first thing I did after watching this episode was I looked up the word episode to find <laughs> out what it actually meant. Okay. And uh, I've come to the conclusion that this wasn't an episode. Hmm. Uh, so uh, basically... <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to do this, but Merriam-Webster defines episode as a, a couple other things, right? But one of the important one for me is an event that is distinctive and separate, although part of a larger series. This was not that. This was a series of events that didn't make any sense on its own whatsoever. Uh, nothing really happened. Or, or, uh, or from, sorry, or even as part of a larger series. I mean... Yes, it but wasn't this it's not an actual episode. It didn't have a distinct beginning, middle and end. Without uh you know, you couldn't pull this out. It wasn't telling its own story. Mm-hmm. It was telling uh, a larger story uh a piece of a larger story, but it did not have a moral conclusion. It did not have a logical conclusion. It didn't even have a moral or logical beginning. It just it was this series of events that occurred 
for 40 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, like at the end, when uh, after they crashed the uh, the the hot air balloon, and then the zombies started coming out of the uh, the woodwork and uh, out of the forest. I was just thinking, that's it. Like we we didn't get any conclusion here. We did nothing. Like they didn't fix the plane. They didn't do anything. As far as uh, I don't think they resolved anything. Like nothing got done. It, no, you know, some things started, some things were continued, but nothing was concluded. No. And so that for me makes it not an episode. It just, it, it's a chunk of a story that we now have to wait for the next chunk of story. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it needed more. It needed more and it needed more logic or something like that. So uh, next week's episode of the show is called Still Standing, which of course we'll be covering next week. But you know, I am was thinking about what the next two are going to be, and I have a feeling that next week will be about everybody else trying to rescue Strand and Charlie from where they're stuck, and then finish fixing the plane to take off for home. And the final episode of the first half of this season will be them flying the plane, probably flying at home, oh, yeah. and having to deal with, or encounter Max Headroom in their denim factory, which sets up the conflict between them and Max Headroom for the second half of the season. That feels like what we're going to get in the next two episodes. And I don't know, maybe it'll be an exciting flight with lots of turbulence, but I'm not so sure. Yeah. You know what would have been a better idea for Strand? I don't know. Being written off two years ago? No. uh, I mean, for (laughs) instead of bringing the propellers in the hot air balloon... Bring the giant fan you used to fill the hot air balloon with air before you heated up the air. Because you need to do that, right? You need this uh-huh. giant fan to blow air in that to be heated up. Yep. Bring bring that fan over. Use that fan to make an ultralight plane out of the canvas of something <laughs> and then start ferrying people over the mountain. You think you, they could just do that? Would that be easier? Maybe. Then rebuilding of crashed plane? Yeah, probably. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is some canvas, some pipe, and a big fan. All right. they got the big fan. Yeah. Ah, well. Anyways, a lot of negativity today. Uh, I hope- Sorry. It- I, that's why I feel so bad. And one of the reasons why I didn't want to talk about this episode, because it was all going to be negative. I know. And I knew I'd just pull it apart in a in an almost incoherent way, because I'm just so- I feel so bad. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know what you mean. But I, I hope I- tempered it a little bit with my John and Dwight stuff, because I really do, for the most part, like that, uh, at least watching the two of them on screen together, if nothing else. And Garrett Dillahunt. Garrett I'll Dillahunt. I watch him in anything. I love him. Me too. I do too. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, the show is not where it needs to be to keep viewers and have a compelling story right now. And that's sad, but you never know. You never know what, what they're going to do. And hopefully they'll turn it around. All right. Well, as I said, next week's episode is called Still Standing. We will be here hopefully on our usual night to record and talk about that one and hopefully be in better moods after watching it. (laughs) Um, That is going to do it for this episode. If you would like to support the show, I've got two really great ways to do that. Uh, First of all, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the talking dead where you can make a small monthly pledge or 
you can just make a one-time donation by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal and uh, making a quick donation that way. And, you know, I thought it would be nice to thank some of the people that have done that. So I'm going back a couple of months here, but I just wanted to say a big thank you to Timothy F., to Brian B., to TSB, Karen G., John Z., Michael B., Daniel B., Keith, and Keith B. A lot of, a lot of people with the last name starts with B., uh, Are they all, oh, they all start with B. I thought they were the, the last names and they might all be really. No, they're all, they're all different, but uh, I don't know for sure that everyone wants their full name shouted out on the podcast. No, so that makes sense. Yeah. Just go with that. But everyone's last name starts with B. Um, thank you so much to all of you for uh, sending a little bit of your cash our way. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening. So if you would like to help support the show, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal is a great easy way to make a one-time donation and of course patreon.com slash the talking dead works as well all right uh otherwise you know let us know what you think um about anything you hear us talk about here you can do that by visiting the website clicking send voicemail at the top and recording a message which will come right to us you can also use your voice memo app on your phone to do that that usually gets pretty good quality Visit us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead or Talking Dead Podcast at gmail.com is the email address, which works just great. <laughs> right. As an email address should. As it should. That's right. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Until next week, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.